Um, what a great morning to be in God's house and in God's presence. And if, you've, if you're new to church and you've never, uh, or you didn't think this is what church looked like, it, that's still, the jury's out on that. But the, um, what we really try to do is just create a place. We try to create a place that we think God wants to be at, at the same time that we think people want to be there. And when that happens, then we don't really have to worry about the rest of it. And God wants to do something very special and very unique today that, that um, I'm going to be preaching about. Um, but I just want to connect with you a little bit. Can we just connect first before we get into the word? Um, my oldest girl, Arwen, is actually leaving on Tuesday. Don't cry. Don't know. And um, she's going to Substance Church, which is my pastor Peter's church, to, uh, to intern there for a few months. We'll get her back by like Christmas, maybe. That'll be my Christmas present. And I'm just going to do what Aaron is not doing. I'm just going to put my emotions in a coat box and I'll take a look at it if I can. Um, so anyways, it's the first girl leaving. Like it's emotional. So pray for our family. It's great. Um, it's great that she has this opportunity to do this. Of course, she's staying with uh, campus pastor Drew at Substance and he's great. And he's about eight feet tall. And I'm like, hey, and Pastor Peter's going to be your pastor. You get a real pastor for the first time. It's going to be awesome. Um, so we're going to miss you. Thank you for all that you've brought. You know, she's been playing the drums here since we came uh, five years ago. I'm Pastor Corey, if we haven't met. That's my lovely wife, Pastor Aaron. Uh, we started Venue about, uh, I just said, did I say five years ago? I'm going to be all over the map here. Um, but uh, about five years ago, God has blessed us. Um, we want to invite you next week when summer's finally like, hey, this was your last uh, kick in the can for summer. Let's get back into the swing of things next week. We are starting our... Uh, Church in the Wild series, which is going to be literally crazy fun. Um, we have a street party next Sunday. So like that's the Sunday to invite one of your neighbors to like street party. We got all sorts of stuff going on. Barbecue. Uh, it's going to be great. We're starting our Church in the Wild series off and we use that series when we do it. I haven't really done it in about three years because COVID was weird. You guys remember COVID? It was like super weird. And so, um, so we <laughs> know. You just put your emotions in a box too. No, I get it. Um, but we do a church, a series in church where we're like, who does Jesus think the church is for? Because every, I could ask everybody here and you'd all have an opinion about who church is for. And I'd have an opinion. And then I finally realized like, this isn't my house. This isn't my church. This is Jesus. How does he think about church, his body, his bride? Who, do, who should we care about? Who, what shouldn't we care about? And, and we really just dig into like how we built Venue Church. We think we built it in a way that honors God and reaches people. And uh, But you get to hear some like behind the scenes stuff and uh, you're gonna love that. Um, what are you doing Wednesday at about seven o'clock? First Wednesday, that was a great response. Uh, seven o'clock here, it's a night of worship, prayer, prophetic ministry. It's We get a little more personal than we get here because every person in the room is but there we're really seeking the face of God we seek the face of God for the next month in this case maybe for the next year I'm going to be preaching something called just a little teaching moment called chain reaction about how your next two weeks of decision making in your schedule will make or break your entire school year for your entire family these next two weeks are crucial and I'm going to show you how we put the priorities in the big rocks in first because if you leave the big rocks out, things like church, your commitment to Christ, your family, if you leave the big rocks out, uh, they won't go in afterwards. And so it's a kind of a crucial time. And we say it like this, you can come to First Wednesday and have a great month, or you can miss First Wednesday and then work really, really hard and have a month that you feel like you wasted. And God speaks ahead of time because God is a speaking God. 
So we just invite you to that. All right. Thank you, Sean. Today's sermon title um, is called Desperate Women. Pastor Aaron came up with that. If you were initially mad. Now you can't be. Um, do we have any desperate women in that? No. Um, is today's a sermon uh, really about desperation. And I'm going to be uh, exploring the text um, of Jesus and his interaction with a woman who uh, has been sick for over a decade. And uh, something very personal, something very hard. And uh, just her, 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 uh, the, just the desperation that she's in. Now, I don't think in Canadian society we really understand desperation or appreciate it the way that Jesus does. And so I think our entire society is like, hey, let's try to like avoid it. Let's try to skirt around it. Let's try to, you know, as a father, what my main goal as a father, I feel like in Canadian society is like, hey, just like try to get your kids so that they're not as uh, they're not in desperate places. But then I look in the scripture and I'm thinking to myself, Jesus uses desperate spaces. In fact, I don't know if, if you've ever experienced a miracle in your life. Was it in and around desperate places? Was it in and around desperate places that were like, because desperate places need miracles. Am I right? And if you're comfortable and everything's working, you don't really need a miracle. Or you, maybe you don't think that you need a miracle. Now, um, I was in a desperate place. We we're coming back from vacation and uh, I had to get on a flight at four the next morning and I needed a good night's sleep. Now, anybody know that when you need a good night's sleep, that's when you, you don't get a good night's sleep, right? So then the neighbor's dog is like, gets possessed by Satan and starts barking or whatever. And so, um, um, and I, I woke up at 1.30 in the morning. We were in a hotel in Regina uh, with all, all of us were in the same hotel room. And, uh, and I wake up with one of those like headaches and all headaches. Anybody get bad headaches? It just feels like your head is full of ants or something. And it's just like everything hurts a lot and nothing would touch it. Advil, nothing would, would touch that headache. And it was so bad that I was like pacing back and forth and just like saying out loud, like, oh, Jesus help. You know, like anybody been in a place like, that? like, oh, Jesus help. Is that like, oh my goodness. And then because I'm very scientific and understand the medical, whatever. Anybody who says scientific and medical and then says the word whatever, like, you know, and stuff. Um, so I decided, I came up with this plan in my splitting headache moments where I started, I thought, I'm going to bite down hard on my hand to trick my brain into thinking that something else hurts and maybe we shouldn't just be concentrating on my headache. <laughs> Try it, actually. It worked, it worked a little bit. It did, because I was biting down on my hand and my brain was like, oh, like I should spread out the, you know, the the pain a little bit. I should spread the love out. And then I had a really sore foot and, um, and it was getting worse and worse for about a week until this moment. And I'm like, I was like squeezing down on my foot. So imagine like a sprain or something like that. And just like, because I was trying to trick my brain. <laughs> Sometimes when we get desperate, we do bite down on other people and stuff. I know to spread the pain out a little bit. I could preach a whole sermon about that. I just thought that was funny. But I'm thinking to myself, it was one of those desperate moments where I'm like, geez, I need help. Because like nothing here is doing it. And then uh, and Pastor Aaron sent out a, a Slack message. We communicate by Slack and teams here to the prayer team. Thank you, prayer team. If you love praying for people, you want to get involved and learn how to pray for people, get on that prayer team. She sent a, me a message out the next morning. She's like, he still has this headache. It's maybe not quite as bad, but he's preparing his sermon and driving with his headache right now. Because she was sleepy. And I'm like... 
a sleepy Erin maybe is not the best driver. She kept offering, and I'm like, I don't know that that's a good decision. So um, anyways, she kept offering, though, and I appreciate that. But uh, thank you, prayer team, for praying for your pastor. We, we appreciate that so much. Listen, um, now listen, with that kind of an injury or with that kind of a, a, a level of pain in my life, there's no shame or awkwardness attached to that because it's not like a hangover headache. It wasn't. Just take my word for it. You know what I mean? There's, there's like pain in your life that you can talk about that, that there's not this weird layer of odd and awkwardness wrapped around it that I could just tell you I have this massive headache. I don't know what it was from. And there's, you know, and I, we can talk about it. I can publicly say something about it. There's these other, what if the nature of your pain or a pain in a different area of my life is much more awkward and odd and personal and what if it's so deep that the last thing you want to do with that is get it out into the open and tell anybody about it and you're still suffering at the same time um, we're going to be talking about two parallel stories that Jesus is walking through a crowd dealing with both of whom are in incredibly private and painful moments right now but both find themselves in public What do you do with awkward? Are you somebody who like likes awkward situations? I, Pastor Aaron doesn't love awkward situations. I love, here's the deal, here's the deal. I love awkward situations. I love drama that I create. <laughs> I love it. Um, we had an awkward situation one time, like when uh, Pastor Aaron and I were, when we first were together, her, her sister also married a Corey, perfection, and Amen. I didn't hear an amen from the front row down here. Like, eye contact again. And, um, and so Corey and I both grew up in, in boy homes. So we didn't have any girls. There wasn't a lot of talk, emotional talk and drama. They're just, it was just a, if you have boys, you know what I'm talking about. It was just like the walls got hit by hockey pucks, you know, stuff like that. So it's like loud and rammy and not good with words, stuff like that. So, but Aaron grew up with her mom and her sister. And so Aaron and her sister had a little, uh, spat and Aaron walked right into her sister's room and just like had it out verbally with her right there and Corey and I are sitting on the couch and like we made eye contact like once and we're like our eyes got a little wide and we're like what's happening <laughs> but because we were already committed to the relationships we just buried it deep like guys do we just put it in a box and we're just like, okay, 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 <laughs> cuckoo, you know? And there was just this level of awkward there that we're like, is this how they deal with stuff in this home? Is they just like literally go at it verbally? And I'm like, in my home, we never went at anything verbally. Because if dad ever finally did get around, you know, Pastor Richard, if you ever did get around to saying something, you weren't going to change his mind. So you, there's no point in talking about it. It's not a bad way to live, honestly. He was a, he's a great dad. Um, he was a great dad. Whenever I say that, people are like, is he still with you? Yeah, he's right here, but I just present tense I get those mixed up um now listen listen there's this awkwardness I'm, I'm gonna get into a little more awkward stuff um people ask me sometimes because I have five women in my home uh until Tuesday um four daughters one wife it's not one of those kind of churches uh, the the <laughs> so and people ask me sometimes awkward I'm gonna do it I'm just gonna do it people ask me sometimes what's it like living with five women and I'm always like oh my goodness that's terrible it's not it's great 
But here's why it's not, we don't have like loads and loads of awkward moments is because, and then somebody will, and I'm just going to like, I'm going to go out on a bit of a limb here because it's the limb that the, the text uh, in the scripture is on. And, and then they say like, what about, if you know me, I'm, I'm squirming now. What about like, like that time of the month with five women in the house? And this is, and this, this is what I say. I'm like, I don't know because we have a thing in our house where we just don't talk about things that makes dad feel weird. I don't know if it's happening or not. I don't, maybe they talk about it, but I never hear anything about it because they love me a lot. Then I'm thinking like I was there in the room for four children being born. And you're like, how, are, how, how does it work for, I'm not a farm kid. I'm a town kid. I didn't watch any videos. I still haven't watched any videos of babies being born. I came into the room one time when Aaron was, and I'm like, oh my goodness. What's... And then I'm like, but I was there for four kids. Ask me how children are born. I have no idea. <laughs> no, I'm the guy in the hospital that I come in and I'm like, I see everybody running around in a panic. And this was, I think for Ailish. Arwen took all night. Ailish, I go out, I'm making phone calls. I'm like, yeah, we're having a baby. I'm outside, you know, doing the dad thing. Like, hey, just calling family up. I come back in, 20 minutes in, and like everybody running around. And I'm like, my brain is like, that's not normal. So I finally ventured a question to the nurse, and I'm like, what's happening? And she looks at me like some of you women are looking at me right now. And she said, we're having a baby. And I'm like... Homer Simpson, right back into the shrubs. Okay. Just, I'm like, you just let me know how I can help with one of our kids because I need a job. And one of the gals was like, watch this heart rate monitor for the baby and tell me if it gets over this number. And one time it did and I said it and then I'm like, excuse me, the number. She's like, yeah, yeah. And it hurt. <laughs> you know which end of the tape measure I got. Not the end with numbers. Like, here, hold this cup of coffee while I work. And sometimes I'll come and take a sip, you know. And the, the awkwardness. The awkwardness. There's a deep insecurities and fears that get buried in us, aren't there? Because I'm going to hit a couple of them in here. If I say, like, how's your relationship like with your dad? Or how was it like with your dad? A lot of people are great. Maybe a lot more people are just... You, you tell me things like, well, I'm past that. I don't know if you got past it. You, you passed it, but you might not have gone through it. That's what Freedom Group is for, our small group that we're starting. And we have lots of people, and we always have lots of people in Freedom Group. But I'm like, go through it with a group of people that love you. You need to go through. You can't say hi to tomorrow until you settle yesterday. Um, if I say something like, like betrayal, you know, for some people, man, that's just, ooh, that just lands on. You know, in my personality, I shared this a few months ago. That was shocking, I think, to, to you. I'm like, my personality, betrayal is the thing I expect. It is the thing I'm most afraid of. And you're like, well, you're so confident. I'm like, I, yeah, I, can I tell you a story about where it lands on me? I got a text from one of my guys. 
at church. And he's, he's like, hey, can we go out for, for coffee? I want to talk about something. And I'm like, my first response is like, he's leaving me. Which is weird because I never do anything that would. No, but I'm just like, my first response, pastor's son, grew up in the church. I walked through so many betrayals and weird stuff. And you stand between life and death for people sometimes. And the enemy gets in there and really wants to separate you from us. And, uh, and so my first thought is like, oh, here we go. You know, I, I couldn't even think of a reason. You know, I'm like, I thought we were good. You know, and so we go out. And you know what it was about, actually? Uh, he had come into like a lot of resources from an inheritance and he wanted to give a bunch to the church. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> I feel like an idiot paid for our VBS that we did in the summer or more. I'm like, well, man, there's just things that land on you in a funny place. Like what about, what about this? What about chronic health problems? Something that you just, you live with now. It's just a fact of your life and you've been struck. What about depression? I want you, by the end, the last song we're going to sing, That's the Power. I want you to prepare your heart to borrow the courage from us to ask God one more time. To open yourself up one more time and see if God won't show up and do something. That's where this is all going towards. One more time. What about uh, career some of us, man, we're just not in the career that we want. We float around from job to, we just, it lands on some people. For you, if you have a good career, you're fine. But your neighbor, this person sitting beside you is like, man, I just can never find a career that, or can't keep it. How about temptation? How about sexuality? So much confusion now. You just like, or somebody hurt you back in the day. You know, like the, the person I trusted what about gender confusion? So much out there right now. I don't think letting children find their own way unless you want them to drive your car too. Like I'm saying, I'm saying, are we taking our cues from heaven or are we just flapping around trying to, can I preach about stuff like this? Like, wouldn't give my kids my bank card. All my kids probably be better with a bank card than I am. So that's a bad illustration there. But I mean, these things that land on us in really, really tough places, you know. Um, how about fitness? Um, how about bullying? Don't make me say yours. I mean, I, I'll get there, but you already know what it is, right? I mean, there's something in your life that's been a chronic, long-standing disappointment that you have just settled that that's going to be your future. And today God is saying, like, no, actually... And the enemy wants you to do two, one of two things. He wants to either bury it privately so that, because there's this odd, awkward shame thing that starts happening here. There's, there's, it's not like just having a headache. It's like having a headache because you, and there's this weird shame that starts circling around this issue in your life. And so the enemy either wants to bury it and make you think like you're the only one and that nobody would love you and nobody would understand you and that nobody would accept you or forgive you or help you. Or what he wants to do is he wants to collect your problem and the brokenness in your life, get you together with other broken people, and then tell you that everything's good. When it's not good. Because you wouldn't have to look for other broken people to all tell each other that it's good if it was good. If it's good, you don't care what anybody thinks. And you know inside that there's something else out there, but 
We've lost the courage to reach out and ask one more time. But Jesus still said, ask and you shall receive. Which means if you don't ask, you probably won't receive. Because there's something in that that God doesn't respond to need. He responds to faith. And I'm not saying everybody's going to get what you want. But you will never get it until you ask for it. And there's something that God wants, like, you ask because you are a son of God, because you are a daughter, you have rights to me. And if you're not, we can fix that in the prayer corner after. We can introduce you to Jesus and start that journey with you. Or get involved in small groups and start going to life, uh, through your life with people that love you. But most of the time, we just bury it. Now, there's a scripture If you grew up in Sunday school, you remember that time that Jesus is in public, there's a crowd, and there's a man with a withered hand. So he's got a hand that's all crippled up. Have you ever seen anybody with like a crippled up hand? So he's the kind of guy that would be wearing long sleeves. Am I right? Like if, if if you've not been able to afford good dental work and you have bad teeth, have you ever seen somebody with bad teeth? They constantly cover their, it's like a shame thing, right? Like we're covering, we cover the weak spots. We, we. If you have a crippled hand, you don't walk around in public like this. You walk around in public like this. You walk around with public like this. If you walk around with depression, you walk around a certain way. You, you walk around wounded because of what your dad did. You walk around a certain, with walls. Come on. And Jesus says to the man in public, stretch out your hand. And you're like, how cruel is Jesus? Listen, here's what I want to say. Jesus only reveals what he'll heal. He only reveals what he wants to heal. But it happened in public. What does the corporate, a service like this, what happens here that doesn't happen in private? In public. There's a lifting of shame. There's a, there's a miracle in the house for you. Jesus often heals very personal and awkward struggles. In public. As long as it's something that you can't talk about, the devil can put a gun to your head and make you do what he wants. If you don't get healed of those sexual things, can I preach? That happened to you when you were a kid, you'll never have the intimacy in the future. But you'll never have that until you open up a little bit and walk through it and ask Jesus one more time. You have a right to be here. I want to say that. You have a right to be here. You have as great a right to be here as the pastor of this church who started this church. This is your church. This is God's house. You are a child of God. So you got to stand here and like, it says, come boldly to the throne of grace and ask for mercy in time of need. The woman in this text that we're reading, there's two parallel stories. And this one is, um, she's a woman that would be called unclean. Now, let me just give you a little history. In Leviticus, there's a lot of Leviticus is written around the rituals, which would be light years ahead um, concerning diseases and things like that. The societies of their time, it wasn't a very scientific society. And so in the Leviticus, all the rituals in and around uncleanness and disease and sickness were to keep them from spreading to the congregation. Okay? Am I, are you tracking with me? So in this particular woman that we're talking about, she has for 12 years had a flow of blood. So she's bleeding. Now it says in Leviticus for a man or woman who is bleeding, it's an indication that something is wrong with them. And to keep that something from contaminating, making unclean. So that condition would make her unclean. 
Um, to keep that from contaminating other people, uh, she had to be isolated, and you would have to be isolated until you were better, so that it just makes sense. It's just God's grace and his people saying that. Now, she's had this condition for 12 years now. She has been perpetually unclean. Now, in that day particularly, as soon as she, unclean, touched somebody who was clean, then both become unclean. And then there was rituals about, like, if you touched a person who had a flow of blood, man or woman, you would have to go and wash your clothes and isolate yourself until either evening, seven days. It all depended on the situation. She has lived up till this time, until Jesus walks into her life, she has lived in a state of perpetual uncleanness. You know how quickly uncleanness spreads. You know that you might have been a clean and innocent child until you went to Johnny's house and Johnny was watching stuff on TV and you know that both of you got unclean. I heard Mark Buchanan say it like this. There's unclean and then there's clean. And uncleanness and sin in the world because Adam and Eve, God gave Adam and Eve the world. They're like, great, let's give it to the devil. And the sin broke us and broke the world and entered sin and disease and death and sickness and all the things that God is now redeeming through his son, Jesus. But the power of uncleanness and sin is so strong that when unclean touches clean, both become unclean. Are you seeing the U and the C in my hands here? I'm holding a microphone, so I just thought I would explain that. When, when uncleanness spreads so fast, and this woman is in an unclean state. Now, Luke writes this down. This story, these two parallel stories happening, we're going to start with the other story. Luke is actually a physician. He's actually Paul's personal physician. Luke is a doctor. And the Holy Spirit chooses Luke to write down these accounts about the things that Luke can't do for you. About the things that the world can't heal you of and can't fix you of. Then a man named Jairus, the leader of the local synagogue. So this guy's like a pastor in a Jewish church. He came and fell at Jesus' feet pleading in public, pleading with him to come home with him. His only daughter. Now, I'm going to put my emotions because I have girls in a little box. His only daughter, who was 12 years old, was dying. Okay. She has minutes to live. His desperation was so high... The pitch of his desperation was just about right for a miracle because he's in a funny position right now because the, the pastors of the, of the Jewish church, Israeli church, did not wholeheartedly accept Jesus. And the high priest actually delivered Jesus to be crucified because he was a threat to their power. So he's in this weird public position of politics that he now casts all of the politics off and just falls at the feet of Jesus. He's so desperate. He's like, I don't care if I lose my job. It doesn't matter anymore because my daughter has minutes to live. Jesus went with him. He was surrounded by the crowds. And so he's like, Peter, man, block and tackle. And Peter's like, oh my goodness, she's dying. She has minutes to live. We have a window that if we don't get there, she's dead. And Peter, because he has no brains, like some of you, <laughs> I, I remind myself of Peter because I'm like, I only take one foot out of my mouth to get the other one in there. And so... But it's like Peter's like blocking and tackling for Jesus and they're forming like a wedge and they're trying to get through the crowd. The window is so small for Jesus to heal this girl in. And then we hit a, a pause. Now, in your life, it's like triage, right? You just deal with like the, the thing that's gonna kill everybody tomorrow. But then we hit pause because there are some longstanding problems that are represented in the congregation here. That uh, a doctor can only handle you know, 
If you have to choose between a 12-year-old girl who's got minutes to live and somebody with a long-standing problem who's lived a lot of her life, every person in this room would pick the 12-year-old daughter. Because it's based on this thinking that we can, if we can only save one, that's who we're saving. Pause. A woman in the crowd had suffered, like some of you, for 12 years with constant bleeding and she could find no cure. Luke doesn't say what one of the other gospel writers says is that she had spent all her money on physicians and was no better. I don't know if Luke had the permission to not add that. Like everybody he knew tried to help her, but 12, 12 year old girl's life has minutes left, maybe 12 minutes. Her entire life, this other poor woman has been suffering, isolated, shunned unclean, can't go in public, can't walk her kids to school, can't shop for groceries, can't be with anybody. Coming up behind Jesus, watch, it's a crowd, right? They're blocking and tackling in front. She is pushing her way, unclean, 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 unclean. Come on. Pushing her way through the crowd. And she finally gets close and unclean, touches the hem of Jesus' robe. Unclean, unclean. So, me- so great was her desperation. She touched the fringe of his robe immediately. The bleeding stopped. So here's what I want to say. All I would take is you touching the hem of Jesus' garment. You got to stop acting like your situation is greater than he is. You gotta stop acting like it's gonna tax his power. You gotta stop acting when you're praying for people like you can fix them. All we're doing is speaking the words of life, and then Jesus fixes them, and then if you bleed a little power, then he pours it into you. It's not like this power goes out of Jesus, and then Jesus is depleted and needs a nap. Because God pours the power right back in. Endless power. He is power. This is unusual. This is an odd, weird scripture. That she touches the hem of Paul the Apostle. They would take used handkerchiefs from his bot that had touched him. Like, save it. <laughs> and be like, oh, Candace has a cold? Let's just like, here, blow, blow your... That'd be a good way to trick somebody in getting healed. Oh, you need a handkerchief? Here you go. This looks used. Just give it a go. Would heal them. It doesn't take much power to heal you. Not God's power. Who touched me, Jesus asked. Everyone denied it. And Peter said, Master, this whole crowd is pressing up against you. Watch this, watch this. Watch this, watch this. She's already healed. Jesus' window is closing for this 12-year-old girl. She's already healed. Why on earth doesn't Jesus just keep moving? She's already healed. Because there was something else that had to happen before he went here. Something else that that crowd didn't know, that this crowd doesn't know, that if he doesn't stop and say it, you're going to miss it. Watch. Why doesn't he keep moving? Because, watch, watch. He said, someone deliberately touched me, for I felt healing power go out from me. That word, deliberately. You can go to church your whole life and never deliberately touch Jesus. Deliberately. 
Deliberately. It's a key to the miracle. You got so desperate, you got deliberate. You got so desperate, you put locks on your phone. You put, because you were into stuff, and you put parent locks on your TV. Come on. You got so desperate, you got deliberate. You got an accountability partner. You went to freedom group. You went to a small group. You started serving. You got so desperate, you got deliberate. When the woman realized that she could, ready? First word is deliberate. The second is this phrase, she could not stay hidden. Oh, that's it, isn't it? That she could not stay hidden. She began to tremble, fell to her knees in front of him. The whole crowd, this is what she has been avoiding. This is the thing that she's afraid of because the shame of her condition made her publicly disgraced. And she is afraid that if everybody knows about her problem, that she would be rejected. But watch what happens. The whole crowd heard her explain why she had touched him and that she had been immediately healed. Every single one of them are like, I'm unclean. Jesus is going to teach us something. I'm going to give it to you in a sec. Daughter, Jesus said, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Everybody in that crowd is like, we're unclean. Just give me a minute. While he was still speaking to her. Now, somebody has had chronic issues that I'm speaking to. Somebody has issues like, you're going to lose your house this week if you don't make a payment. I'm going to lose my son. There's something horrible going on. In my, I'm going to lose my marriage. I'm going to... A messenger arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue, while Jesus hit pause for this woman. That's how much God cares about you, by the way. He told him, your daughter is dead. There's no use troubling the teacher anymore. It's over. The window's closed. When Jesus heard what had happened, he said to Jairus, are you ready? Desperate, could not stay hidden. He says, do not be afraid. Like, he can't help it. He's afraid. No, no, no. Here's the difference. He says, don't choose fear. Choose faith. Choose it. It's something you can choose. It's not something you feel. It's not giving into your fear. It's keeping your mouth. Remember the woman whose son died last week? It is well. It is not well. I'd be like, it is not cool. He dead. My son is dead. It is well. It is well. I'm choosing to say, speak words of faith. I'm choosing that God's word are going to matter more to me than the words floating around in my head and in my heart. Don't be afraid. Just have faith and she'll be healed. When they arrived at the house, come on up, worship team. When they arrived at the house, Jesus wouldn't let anyone go in with him except for a few of his guys, the little girl's father and mother. The house was filled with people weeping and wailing. But he said, ready? Stop the weeping. She isn't dead. She's only asleep. Watch this. Watch this. Watch this. Here's another lesson in here that we got to get. But the crowd laughed. They laughed at Jesus. The Jesus who created the crowd laughed at him. Now, who's going to be in this house? He's a pastor. It's going to be church people. Oh, wait till church in the wild. You wait. I'm going to go at church people. a little bit. It's church people. That's who he hangs out with. He doesn't hang out with mafia people and Gentiles. He hangs out with church people. They laughed at Jesus because they all knew she had died. Desperate. Could not stay hidden. Don't be afraid. And this phrase here, they all knew. Oh, I worry about society. 
because they all know. They all know about handle money. They all know about how marriage works. They all know about sexuality. They all know about, they all know about, they all know about, they all know about. Careful, if that makes its way into the church, can you imagine Jairus? His daughter has been dead for minutes and all his friends are now laughing at Jesus. Laughing. What kind of arrogance does that phrase bring? They all knew she was dead. But see, what's dead to the world and what the world can't raise is not necessarily dead to Jesus. Jesus took her by the hand and said in a loud voice, my child, get up. At that moment, her life returned. She immediately stood up. Then Jesus told them to get her something to eat. Her parents were overwhelmed, but Jesus insisted they not tell anyone what happened. But they all knew. And tomorrow at school, Jairus' girl is there. And tomorrow in the marketplace, here's Jairus' daughter. And he said, don't tell anybody what happened. Careful. If you think you all know something, careful. They all knew. So easy to fool people who... Why would Jesus say that? It's such an odd text. I don't know the answer to that, by the way. I'm going to ask when I get to heaven. I'm so confused by that. Watch. I feel like Jesus is about to enter the room in a different way. And we're going to create a little space for you. Normally we end with a party. We're going to create a little space for you right now to respond to this sermon. Would you stand to your feet with me if you can? If not, this is fine. But here's what I want to say. You have to do something that presses through the crowd of your inhibitions. And when I raise my hands in church, this is what I'm actually doing. I'm actually saying unclean. But if I can just touch the hem of your garment until the time of Jesus, unclean touching clean made both unclean. But Jesus the game changer. But Jesus, now when unclean touches clean, both become, I know the C is backwards, clean. Both become clean. This means you can pray for somebody and still be struggling in an area of your life. But if if I'm speaking to you and, and you know that there's something you've just settled for in your life, some brokenness from the past, some depression, some chronic sickness, somebody, there's a father wound out there that God wants to heal today. Slip your hand up while we sing this song. It's a public place. God wants to break the shame of that thing off of your life. Somebody was hurt and abused. I'm just feeling this right now as a child and you can't connect with your spouse. Unclean. It's just an admission. Like anything, all the works of men are going to be unclean. We'll never be righteous unless God makes us righteous. All of our righteousness is like filthy rags before the Lord. So we lift up unclean hands. And if you see somebody around you with their hand in the air, you put your hand in the air. Even if your hand is in the air, I want you to reach out your hand. And just if you need to touch somebody on the shoulder, if, if that makes you uncomfortable, just tell the people around you. But we, we're family and we do touch each other because we love each other. And if somebody touched you and hurt you, we're not going to do that. We're going to touch you and protect you and love you. But if that makes you uncomfortable, just say something. And we can still ask for help at the same time as we can give help because it's not about us it's about jesus we're gonna sing that's the power and i want you to get your healing prayer team are they in here yet okay prayer team move through the crowd 
and just do whatever you need to do. We're going to create a little space here. We might not end with a party today. That'll be next week. But I just want to give space for the Holy Spirit to move. We were praying with people in the sanctuary auditorium before. And I just want to give you a little bit of instruction there. Just keep your hand. Let's ask God one more time. If you don't have the faith for that, somebody beside you does. I'll lend you my faith. I believe in the impossible and the things I've been healed of. I will tell you God will do the same thing for you because he loves us all. Let's sing that's the power.